All over Britain this week, people have been trying to second guess what other people might be thinking. I don't know if you've ever sent a Valentine's to somebody that you don't yet know very well and tried to second guess what they may or may not appreciate. It may have all gone disastrously wrong when you thought that they would like some anti-dandruff shampoo. And it turned out that wasn't what they were hoping for on Valentine's Day at all. Or maybe you have had to second guess what to get somebody in a secret Santa at work and you haven't known them really very well and you've spent a lot of time thinking about what they appreciate or what they might not appreciate. Or maybe you've known someone very well and because you know them very well, you've second guessed what they may or may not have appreciated and got it disastrously wrong. I remember one occasion when I was staying with an absolutely wonderful couple and it was their 25th wedding anniversary while I was staying with them and they'd had a big party the weekend before for all their family and friends and the wife had said to the husband, just let's keep it really low key on our actual anniversary, I don't want you to do anything special and he had second guessed the situation entirely wrongly. And um, I had the misfortune to be at the dinner table in their house that night. He'd gone to work super early in the morning, so they hadn't seen each other. But she'd left something out on the side for him, for him to find as he went to work. And he'd not done that. So all day long, she'd been thinking, what's he going to get me? What's he going to bring me when he gets home tonight? And I was sat at the dinner table between them. She was sat at this end, and he was sat at that end. And the suspense grew as the dinner went on with her waiting to be presented with her gift. And around the time dinner was served, I was quite comfortable being with them on the wedding anniversary, by the way, up until this point. <laughs> About the time when, when pudding was served, it became apparent that he'd really taken her at her word and got her absolutely nothing, not even a card. And um, for those of you that know me, you might uh, appreciate, I find it quite hard to be quite quiet but I was absolutely silent, just staring at my dinner on the table. And he offered to go out and buy her a bunch of flowers. <laughs> and she told him quite clearly, if I remember, what he could do with those flowers if he brought them home. And it didn't involve putting them in a vase. <laughs> he second-guessed that situation entirely incorrectly. We all find ourselves in situations where we try and second-guess what somebody else wants. Um, and I don't know if you've ever felt like you've been trying to second-guess what God is saying to you in your life, trying to work out what direction he's giving you, trying to second-guess what he might want you to do in a situation. I used to think some years ago that maybe 90% of what God wanted to speak to me about was in the Bible, and 10% of what he was going to speak to me about was going to come through signs or other people having wise words or other people hearing God and speaking God's word to me directly. Prophecy, we call that sometimes. My respect for prophecy and wise words has only gone up as the years have gone by, but my love for the Bible has continued to grow and to grow. And I think now sometimes maybe 95% of what God wants to say to me now in this moment I can find in the Bible or 98%. So I get to speak to you this morning about something that I'm really passionate about, why and how we should read the Bible, because I believe that this book, that these books are life and peace and hope to everybody who loves Jesus, 
And it's an invitation to everybody who doesn't yet know him to come on in and find life and peace and hope in these books. Even the bits that we really struggle with. Sometimes especially the bits that we really struggle with. Sometimes especially the bits that can make us feel really uncomfortable. Now, towards the end of the Bible, we find two letters written by one of the greatest early church leaders, a guy called Paul, and he was writing these two letters to a younger man called Timothy. And Paul starts off painting a really bleak picture. He talks about the world as it was and as it's becoming. And he says that they lived in terrible times where people are brutal and where people are slanderous, where they're lovers of themselves, where they're unforgiving, where they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, where they have some kind of strong outward moral code that's actually entirely hollow. But then he goes on to paint a very different kind of picture. This is what he says. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse. But as for you, as for you, Timothy, as for you, Tom, as for you, Patton Church, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus." All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training the servant of God. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul is saying to Timothy that these books, that they will make us wise, that these books will teach us what it is to be saved through Jesus that these books will do for us everything that a good shepherd does for his sheep. They'll teach us. They'll rebuke us. They'll show us a better path to walk on. They'll correct us. They'll stop us making the same mistakes over and over again. They'll train us. They'll make us thoroughly equipped for every good work. Psalm 119, which was written hundreds of years before Paul wrote that letter, it's um, part of the Psalms, a collection of poems and songs. Psalm 119 is all about the benefits of meditating on the law of God the whole way through. And there's beautiful phrase after beautiful phrase in there, extolling us, encouraging us to meditate on God's laws, saying how much better it makes life when we do it. One of the phrases I really love in there is it describes God's laws as being a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And um, maybe you don't need any light for your path, but I certainly feel all the time like I need light for my path. And sometimes we might struggle with reading the Bible, and I struggle with reading it sometimes. And sometimes there might be bits that we really wrestle with in it, but it's a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And it's there for our good. It's there to show us what he's really like. Because we don't read the Bible to learn stuff. We don't read the Bible to know stuff. Although we might learn stuff as we go, we read the Bible to know him. 
And I often think to myself, if only I knew a bit more stuff. And I do learn some stuff while I'm reading the Bible. But reading the Bible is way more about knowing him than it is about knowing stuff. So if it's so important, where do we start? It's massive. There's 66 books in the Bible. Which book do I possibly start on? Um, I don't know if you ever get home in an evening maybe and you turn on Netflix and you start flicking through thinking, I just want to watch something for half an hour. What's on? And before you know it, the half hour is up because you spend all the time flicking through Netflix thinking, oh, what am I going to get into? I sometimes think to myself when I'm going on holiday, when I look round I'm on holiday, everybody else is learning stuff. They're like, they're sat there reading books and I want to look like I'm trying to learn stuff as well so that I look as clever as everybody else who's sat around the pool. And so I might wander down into the library in town, and there's so many books there. And I don't know which books will make me look most intelligent. I haven't really got any interest in reading them, but you know, it's nice to have one out that was going to make me look a bit brainy. And so I spend ages wandering around thinking, which book should I get out to go on holiday? Starting to read the Bible can feel a bit like that sometimes. Where on earth do I start in this thing? There are 39 books in the Bible out of the 66 that were written at least hundreds, and in some cases many hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the Old Testament. The other 27 were written after Jesus' death and his resurrection. All of them are breathed by God. All of them will teach us and rebuke us and correct us and train us and prepare us to live life well. All of them are life for us, even the tough bits, even the bits we wrestle with. It's my absolute conviction that every part of the Bible is life and peace and hope to us who are in Jesus Christ and an invitation wide open to come on in for those who aren't yet. So where do we start? Well, there's 66 books in the Bible And just like if you picked up any other book from a bookshelf, you have to think to yourself, what sort of book actually is this? If you pick up from your bookshelf a law book, this is actually a law book, by the way, I had to search pretty hard for this, and you sit and read a law book, you read it differently to how you would read a book of poetry. My book of poetry is under the projector at the moment, so I can't wave that around. (laughs) We were trying to second guess how the projector worked this morning as well. We got there in the end. The pros are down there. You read a law book differently to how you would read a poetry book. It's all useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. But we also use our common sense. We think about what sort of book it is when we start to read it. Because not all of the Bible is supposed to be literal. And you can often pick that up as you're reading it. I'll give you a good example. In Song of Solomon, conversation between two people. One of them says to the other... Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing. It doesn't mean that the other person's teeth were woolly, and although they were quite white, they were also quite oily if you run your fingers through them. It's speaking in pictures and metaphors and similes. So we read the Bible expecting to hear God. We read the Bible expecting to know him as we read it, But we also use our brains and we think about what sort of genre is this. Just like if you're at school doing a GCSE in English, you think about what sort of writing it is as you begin to read it. 
It's all breathed by God. It's all useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. It all shapes us as we go through it. But we use our common sense as well, and we think, oh, yeah, what sort of book actually is this? That's why it's not always a great idea just to flick your Bible open and pick a random verse out of the middle. Because there's some epic stories, some epic accounts, some epic poems, some epic sets of laws in the Bible. If you pick just one verse out at random and you don't know the story that it's part of, it can sometimes give you a very skewed view of what God is trying to say. There was a guy in the 300s a long, long time ago called Jerome who was just musing on reading the Bible and how come people who have just come to faith or maybe not come to faith at all yet can read the Bible and it can be life and peace and hope to them. And people who have been following Jesus for years and years and years still discover more about God every time they read it. And he said this, he said, the scriptures are shallow enough for a babe to come and drink without fear of drowning and deep enough for a theologian to swim in without ever touching the bottom. Because we don't read the Bible in order to try and know the whole thing so we can know stuff. We read the Bible in order to know him and to be known by him. There are many, many stories of people down the ages who have come to faith from reading the Bible. I might find it tough sometimes But there are many stories. I had the privilege some years ago of meeting a marvelous woman um, who had spent pretty much all her life um, living in a mountainous region of the Soviet Union. Soviet Union, for those of you that are too young to remember it, um, was a very authoritarian communist country. And freedom of faith, freedom of religion was banned. And there were thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people who died because they were following Jesus in the duration of the Soviet Union. They were thrown in jail. In some cases, they were shot for their faith. She had no background in faith at all. And when the Soviet Union collapsed, she got hold of a Bible in this really remote region. And she began at the beginning. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that you began at the beginning. But she began at the beginning. And she read her way through it. And by the time she got to the end... She'd given herself heart and soul to Jesus Christ because the Bible is life and it's hope and it's peace and it transforms us. And she didn't just learn stuff about God. She met Jesus as she read the Bible. The Bible is life and it's hope and it's peace. If you've never read the Bible before, a great place to begin is one of the four stories of Jesus' life. There are four accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible, all told from a slightly different angle, all telling us the same story, but from slightly different perspectives. Mark is a great place to start. It's a really, really quick version of Jesus' life. It gives you a big overview. Sit down and read it like you'd read a book. And as you're reading it, think, God, are you speaking to me in this? Would you help me to understand it? Mark might not work for you. Some of our Iranian friends, you know we're very blessed to have Iranian brothers and sisters with us, they tell me that in Iranian culture, it's much better to start with John because it's more poetic, it's more philosophical. I guess it depends partly on your personality, what's going to work well for you. But if you've never read the Bible before, I really recommend starting with one of the four versions of Jesus' life. For those of us that have been trying to read the Bible for a bit longer, there are some bits that are definitely harder going than others. I sometimes struggle when I'm reading the ancient law books written in Moses' time 
And I have to work hard sometimes to find the life and the hope and the peace in them. But when I'm doing that, I often find it's helpful to think to myself, if I've read a chunk, what's one little piece from this that God is speaking to me? What's one verse, what's one principle that's sticking out? And I have never, when I've decided to do that, looked back over a passage I've just read and been unable to find one piece of life and hope and peace that sticks out. And I'm constantly challenged about that because Jesus himself quoted from the law again and again and again and again. I've never done this, but if you want a challenge, you can sit down and count up in the Gospels how many times Jesus referred to the law because he found life and hope and peace in the law. We don't read the Bible to know stuff. We read the Bible to know him. A friend of mine sent me a quote this week when I heard what I was talking about today. To say that God never speaks without reading your Bible is like having a phone on flight mode and complaining that no one ever messages you. Reading the Bible allows God to talk directly to me. I do find it hard sometimes. Some days I read it and I'm like, yes, yes, I get this. Yes, this is so encouraging. Other times it feels more like over a process of days, I'm trudging up a mountain and it's hard work. But then when I get to the vista at the top and look out at the view, God reveals something beautiful. So don't beat yourself up if sometimes you think reading the Bible is really hard work. You're not getting a massive amount out of it. It's worth trudging up that mountain because the view from the top is beautiful. And you can't always rely on just listening to what we talk about on Sunday. Sometimes we might do a great job of speaking. Sometimes maybe I don't do such a great job of speaking. But in any passage we get to look at in Sunday, it's full of gold. And we tend to get to just pick one part out of it. The passage that we looked at today, there's at least two other major themes in there that we could have spent the whole morning looking at. That first verse is really interesting and deep and powerful And we don't have time to unpack it this morning. That's what you can do at home when you're reading. You can stop and think about individual verses. There's another really interesting um, topic within that set of verses. It talks about how Timothy had known the scriptures from infancy. And if we'd read the whole letter, we would see that it was his mother and his grandmother that from an early age had taught him the Bible. And we could have done a whole thing on what it is to bring up your kids in a godly way this morning. Every passage that we look at is full of gold. And we get the privilege of being able to sit down at home with the Holy Spirit and mining that gold out of it and letting it teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us so that we can live the lives of righteousness that we're called to live. Not just so we can know more stuff but that so we can know him more, so he can know us more. So I want to give you a couple of practical suggestions of things that you could do in order to help you access the Bible and to read it more. You could use an app on your phone. There are some brilliant apps on your phones that you can use to help you read the Bible. I actually find using an app really helpful because I get to tick off each day when I've done it and I love to look back down my list of when I've managed to do it and it gives, although I'm not doing it with anybody else, it gives me a sense of satisfaction. It's probably just something to do with my personality. So I'd love to recommend to you the Bible in a Year app. 
It's the big B at the top if you're looking for it. Um, it's done by Nicky Gumbel. It gives you three passages of scripture to read each day. And he talks to you a little bit about what those mean. And he helps you apply those to your life. If you're not a great reader, there's an audio version. So you can listen to it. You can listen to it in a car or in your headphones while you're traveling. There's a youth version of Bible in a Year as well. Uh, available on Spotify um, and other platforms. You can look it up for yourself. If you're not a fan of doing it like that, or if it feels too intimidating to try and read a big chunk of Scripture every day, version, which is an app that gives you the Bible in probably as many translations as you can possibly think of, including audio versions, has hundreds and hundreds of Bible reading plans, including alternative Bible in a Year plans. Um, I used to be a history teacher. So I like a bit of history. So at the moment, I'm doing a Bible in a year plan chronologically. Some Bible um, books were written at the same time as each other, so they're all sort of spliced together. So you get one long chronological story running from beginning to end. I love it. That wouldn't suit everybody. It suits me. If you're not into apps or doing this electronically, you can buy Bibles that are marked out in yearly portions. So it shows you how much to read each day. Or you could just decide, I want to do this entirely independently, and I'm going to read three chapters of the Bible a day and just keep going, just work my way through it. I do recommend Bible in a year. The top app is brilliant. Maybe you're thinking, I'm just going to start this for the first time. I've never read any Bible. I don't know what I think about it. I recommend one of the four stories of Jesus' life. They are a brilliant place to start. They're a brilliant way, not just to learn stuff, not just to know stuff, but to know him more as you read them. Or maybe you think, oh, even that feels a bit much. Or maybe start off reading one of the Psalms every day, one of the poems and songs of the Old Testament that talk about God and his character. And they give voice to some of the many emotions inside us. There's Psalms that are written out of a place of great frustration. God, why aren't you hearing me? Why aren't you helping me? And Psalms that are written from places of great desire to praise. You'll find a whole range of human emotions in there. Maybe you've been reading the Bible for a while and you're like, well, some books of the Bible, when I try and read them, they just don't make any sense to me at all. I read this stuff and I don't get what it's on about. There's heaps and heaps of things you can try. One thing that I would recommend amongst them all is the Bible Project. It's a website. They've also got a a YouTube channel. And it gives you a six or seven minute animation on every book in the Bible. And it gives you an overview of the whole story. And I find it super helpful when I'm reading a book and I want to just get an overview of it, of what the big story is before I dive into it. It's also very visual for those people that appreciate something that's a bit more visual. These are just recommendations. You don't have to do any of them, but we've got to start somewhere. And we, like me, you can spend too long wandering around the library thinking, where am I going to start? I could start here. I could start here. Sometimes you just got to pick something and go for it. Reading the Bible together is a brilliant thing to do as a family. Actually, if you feel like you don't know the Bible very well and you've got kids that you can read to the Bible f- from out of a, a children's story Bible, it can actually be a brilliant way of helping you as well to over- understand an overview of the big story of the Bible, the big story of God's saving plan for us. Um, it's a bit small to see on this projector, but, but one, one book that I would recommend that helps children and us, if you can find a child to read it to, to get a big understanding of like the overarching story of the Bible is The Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. 
I recommend that to you. Um, we'll leave this up at the end so you can take a picture of the screen if it's helpful to you. Um, and, and two places that you can get great resources, actually for people of all ages across the family, um, so for adults, for children, for teenagers, people at all life stages. The Bible Society, they've got heaps of stuff on their website. Um, look them up, they're brilliant. Um, and, and the Good Book Company as well also got heaps of stuff, some really, really useful stuff for children. But what we never want to do in all this, it's never a competition to try and learn more stuff than the other people on our row, to know more facts, to feel like we've got one up, even on ourselves, because we enter silly competitions with ourselves sometimes to try and make ourselves feel better. As we read the Bible, we're not just trying to know more stuff. We want to know him. He wants to show us what he's like. He wants to help us make wise decisions. He wants to help us to know what to do when we find ourselves in amazing situations and tough situations and hard situations and just places where we're like, I don't know whether to go left or to go right. The Bible is full of wisdom and full of advice and we can learn stuff and we can know stuff. But ultimately, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we want to know him. We want to know the one who's made us, the one who's called us. In many of our cases, the one who we've given our lives to follow. And you'll never reach the bottom of the Bible. You'll never get to a point where you think, I've learned all the stuff now. The deeper you dive, the deeper you realize the bottom is. You can start off thinking to yourself, I've never done this before. I've got no idea where to start. I'm not going to understand any of it. But the Holy Spirit will speak to us, whatever age we are, whatever stage we are, however long we've been doing this, however short we've been doing it, when we give it a go. And sometimes it's the bits that we wrestle with most, the bits we find most uncomfortable, the bits we find most challenging, that he's speaking to us in? Because the time when I stopped finding the Bible difficult and challenging and needing to wrestle with it is the time when I've reached perfection. And as those of you that know me well know, I've got a long way to go before I reach perfection. So my encouragement to us today, my exhortation is just give it a go. Maybe you put the Bible down a while ago. Pick it up again. Decide on a course of action and Just go for it. Don't be like me. Don't spend too long wandering around the library thinking, where am I going to start? If you're really stuck, go for Bible in the Year. It's brilliant. I know loads of people here that are using it and finding it really helpful. Don't beat yourself up when you're finding it hard sometimes. We all find it hard sometimes. Sometimes we just got to keep walking up the mountain to get to the next viewpoint and see what the Lord is doing.